Thursday night's debate. Additionally, I give my review of the surprise release of the macOS, iPadOS, and iOS betas from the Apple Software Beta Program. Tuesday evening, it was reported that Eric Trump, son of President Trump, was spat on at a Chicago restaurant. We'll talk to the restaurant and see exactly what happened and their response to the issue. All of that and more on episode 86 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Trying out that new intro. Different songs and uh, talk about the topics on the show on a daily basis. Uh, big night last night. It was uh, Democratic Debate Night. First first uh, debate night uh, for this election, 2020. It's still 2019, Thursday, June 27th, to be exact. But... That is uh, pretty pretty short in terms of uh, campaign uh, campaign years, dog years. Uh, you know, a lot of people. I mean, people were campaigning in April. Biden was really long, really really took a long time to announce, and that was a couple months ago. And we're still more than five hundred days away from the election. The debates are already being had. There's one on MSNBC last night. Ten of the candidates randomly selected. I don't know if it was as random as it seemed, but there were some less relevant candidates that proved themselves and very relevant popular candidates, at least by the polling numbers, that continued to basically recycle their message. Some not, some some did a great job, but it was a whimsical debate, to say the least, because uh, there was uh, a couple technical errors that happened. Um, there were, uh, you know, a large amount of people. I think ten people too much is way too much in my in my very humble opinion. Uh, I think, you know, I think um, the max you can have in a in a legitimate debate, uh, maybe six. I know in the Republican debate, they had more than 10, less than 20, probably about 16 last year. Trump was always in the middle, and he basically dominated the conversation, but there's not a Trump equivalent in the Democratic Party. So, I mean, you the, you know, no, no one person is going to dominate the conversation. That's the anchor's job. In this case, there were multiple anchors. Uh, it was Lester Holt, Savannah Guthrie, and uh, Mr. Jose diaz Bullard for the first segment. They went to commercial, and they both switched, and then Chuck Todd came in uh, and asked a bunch of questions. One of which being, what is the most, the biggest threat that America and the general population of American citizens faces uh, right now? He was asked that. And uh, I always think this is a fascinating question. I like the really broad, overreaching countries or questions. Sorry, I think the uh, actually one of the best questions, and I hope this is asked uh, specifically to the Democrats, is: uh, Is America the greatest country in the world? How and why? That's what I want to know from these Democrats. If I get one thing out of this whole race, that's what I want to hear. Mr. Todd uh, started out with uh, John Delaney. And uh, he's a representative in the 116th Congress. 
and he asked basically what is the biggest threat to the United States and he went down the line and said keep it under one word some of course this is politics they didn't do that uh, so they failed to do that but they gave let's just say less than 15 second answers and remember this is not all of the candidates it is just John Delaney, Jay Inslee, Tulsi Gabbard, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, and, and those are the candidates that are appearing on the stage. That is 10, only 10 of them that appeared on the stage, um, and yeah, they basically was asked, what is the biggest threat that America faces? The greatest geopolitical threat to the United States right now, Congressman Delaney. Well, the biggest uh, geopolitical challenge is China, but the okay. biggest geopolitical threat yes. remains nuclear weapons. Okay. Right? So those are, di- you know, those are different you. questions. Totally get it. Go ahead, Governor Inslee. The biggest threat to the security of the United States is Donald Trump. And there's no question. <laughs> Congresswoman Gabbard. The greatest... Greatest geopolitical threat. The greatest threat that we face is the fact that we are at a greater risk of nuclear okay. war today than ever before in history. Congre- Congre- uh, Senator Two threats, economic threat, China, but our, our major threat right now is what's going on in the Mideast with Iran if we don't get okay. our Okay, try to keep it at one, or, or slimmer than what we've been going yeah, we here. One or two our, words. Our please. existential threat is climate change. We have to confront it before it's too late. Senator Warren. Yeah. Climate change. Yeah, Senator Booker. Nuclear proliferation and climate change. Secretary uh, Castro. Uh, China and climate change. Yeah, Congressman Ryan. China, without a question, they're wiping us around the world economically. Yeah. Uh, and Mr. Mayor. Russia, because they're trying to undermine our democracy, and they've been doing a pretty damn good job of it, and we need to stop them. And that's basically it. So uh, that was the Democrats answering basically what they believe to be uh, the largest threats that America is facing. And by the way, uh, strolled down that lane of all of the candidates that were uh, in that debate, and I accidentally missed Tim Ryan. He was in between uh, Julian Castro and Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York, Uh, and uh, I read those names, by the way, in the order that they appeared on the stage from right to left. Let's talk about the winners. I think, without a doubt, and I've heard this from many different points of analysis, uh, Julian Castro, he didn't he, he was in very good. He proved himself, and uh, he certainly did a very good job of doing it. He was uh, very quiet. Uh, he ran a pretty quiet campaign up to this point, and I think a lot of the people are starting to realize that he has legitimate potential to be the President of the United States. He was the former uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Obama uh, for a period of time, um, and he was speaking a lot. He had a lot of time, and uh, I don't know if that was just coincidental how the networks split it up, or if he was just dominating the conversation. He almost had spoken as much as Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, who, uh, of course, is also running for president, who had the largest amount of time out of any candidate on that stage. Castro's uh, also was, I said Castro's, his name is Castro, uh, his, his, his uh, kind of fighting with Beto O'Rourke was on immigration specifically, um, was uh, hard to watch according to some analysis, but Castro dominated that argument, and actually I think this debate by far was um, 
kind of a, a loser for Beto O'Rourke. He lost it, and for a couple of reasons. He was hard to watch. It was kind of cringy, not in the sense that it was, it was, um, you know, he got something blatantly incorrect, like the Gary Johnson MSNBC Aleppo moment, but in in the sense that uh, he really was, he would dodge the questions repeatedly, and when he really didn't know the answer to something, he would speak in another language, quite literally. And uh, that was something that was a quite a point of contention, not by the president per se, but by uh, the majority of the American population. I was listening to a good old radio station, WGN 720 AM, and uh, there was a guy that called in and said, you know, I'm not exactly, I don't really understand why these Democrat candidates are speaking in Spanish when it is an English-speaking country. Well... Two points there. Number one, English is not the official language of the United States. And second of all, it just re-establishes the point that this is America and you can speak whatever language you want, especially on a main stage like this. There were more than one uh, instances of candidates speaking Spanish on the stage. Uh, Beto O'Rourke answered a question in Spanish, and he clearly had no idea whatsoever what the answer to that question was. It was specifically about a tax plan that he liked to implement, and all of a sudden he just jumped right into speaking Spanish. It was a little bit strange. cada persona en el éxito de esta economía, pero si queremos hacer eso, necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada votar, ca cada votante necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos escuchar. So that was uh, that was Mr. O'Rourke there, and all of a sudden he just starts speaking Spanish. It was certainly a surprise to everyone on the stage. More more specifically, uh, the people that he was uh, uh, standing next to. Those people happen to be uh, two frontrunners in the campaign, Miss Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and uh, Senator Cory Booker. Cory Booker, you can see the look on his face. This was a point of topic on many stations. Uh, the look on his face, he was surprised. He almost looked annoyed at the fact that, she was, that he just randomly uh, started to blurt out in Spanish. And it was basically like kind of a... Um, I don't know, I, I interpret it not as uh, much as of a, I don't know, a, uh, like, not like, you know, I'm more diverse than you are, but more as, like, I'm cool because I can speak Spanish and none of you can, and I'm only channeling to, you know, the people that are watching Spanish, or I am trying to diversify what I am doing. But to be honest, I think it's a little bit... And it depends on where you're from, but it is slightly insulting, depending on your policy stance, that he would even speak Spanish. Because I don't think Spanish-speaking people in the United States, especially bilingual people in the United States, care if their president is multilingual in some cases. Of course, it's human nature to want to have something in common with one another. But I think people who are bilingual or multilingual within the United States care more about how they're being protected in the country and how they are, uh, you know, personally being taken care of in the, you know, in the confines of this country that they are in. 
And that doesn't go just for Spanish speakers. It goes for French speakers, Chinese speakers, Russian speakers, Korean speakers, anyone. I think, I think it, everyone just wants a good president. And I don't think blatantly speaking another language is going to uh, get you elected, Mr. O'Rourke, but... Mr. Booker actually ends up doing the same thing, and it kind of was a silent fight between O'Rourke and Booker. And uh, that was really interesting. Uh, you know, what What happened after that is uh, Booker answered a couple questions. Actually, one question in Spanish. And then Telemundo and NBC uh, anchor Jose Diaz-Balart, who uh, happens to host the uh, Saturday evening news on NBC... Uh, went in there and asked Beto O'Rourke a question in Spanish, and you could even look, you could you could see a little bit of O'Rourke, uh, kind of a little bit intimidated by how fast and how he's actually a native speaker, unlike Mr. O'Rourke himself. Uh, he then said the question in English, which. You could just see the uh, tension and a little bit of worry wipe out off of his face. That brings up a good point. Jose Diaz-Balart is one of the many Americans who are native speakers or fluent bilingually. One of those people who I happen to not like uh, very much at all is Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And, can, you know, coincidentally, she happened to appear on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert that night. And coincidentally, it happened to be live. And coincidentally, the show aired after the debate. So, of course, that only means analysis. Mr. Colbert uh, fluently and quite swiftly uh, shifted into that topic at about 1 minute and 53 seconds into uh, his interview with Miss Cortez. Listen, uh, happy debate night, first of all. Happy debate night. Yes. And uh, it, it, what stood out to you tonight, um, other than there was a fair amount of Spanish being spoken? There was, there Annette, was. Not now, very well, uh, according to him. Someone yes. with uh, Puerto Rican heritage tonight, yeah. what, how, how did, that, uh, did mean, that appeal to you? I mean, I loved it because it did, I represent the Bronx. There was mm -hmm. a lot of Spanglish in the building. I mean, it was, uh, it, I thought it was humorous sometimes, at times. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 especially because sometimes the content of the question, I thought people were just going to start saying, hola, estoy postulando por presidente y no te voy a dar una respuesta a su pregunta, which means <laughs> I will not give you an answer to your question. Um, but it was, it was good. I thought it was a, a, a good gesture to the fact that we are a diverse country, so... Well, what were some of the biggest moments to you? What in, in, in your text chains? Uh, All right, so I think we can uh, yeet us that out of there. I think what is really important to take out of this is, even though it, it came across very cheesy, the gesture was nice, as Miss Ocasio-Cortez said. I think it is appropriate, and I think that there no one did any harm, so to say, in speaking the language. And anyone who kind of doubts that... Uh, there have their reasons for doubting it. I mean, I could understand if you didn't want someone to speak another language, but uh, you should probably move out of America if that's the case. The other thing is, it really makes you sound more entitled if you want them to speak the other language because you want them to get on your level as opposed to you getting on their level. Especially when most of the time you 
as the natural-born American citizen, are privileged enough to live in that country. That's my little wise words of wisdom on that case right there. The other thing that made this debate particularly uh, cheesy, to say the least, was the control room audio problem that abruptly halted the Democratic debate for about one minute, 60 seconds exactly, to be quite honest. Chuck Todd, his reaction along with the Democratic candidates was quite amusing. Should there be a role for the federal government? Your other mics are on. Uh, everybody's mics are on. I, I think we have a... I heard that too. That's okay. I think we had a little mic issue in the back. Control room, we've got We have the, I think audio. we heard, yeah, we have the audience audio. And they think they got it back, and it's still not back. <laughs> we are, What's happening? We are hearing our colleagues' audio. I, if the control room could turn off the mics. Awkward silence there in the hall. turn off the mics of our previous moderators, we will. I think it's the prior moderators. You know, we prepared for yes. everything. Guess what, guys? We are going to take a quick break. We're going to get this technical uh, situation fixed. We will be right back. That's what happens there. They we come back and the they think they got uh, it fixed. So never say that. Never say never. <laughs> but we will. Uh, we will march forward here. And so yeah, that's what happens. Chuck Todd, Rachel Maddow handled it pretty well, but that did not stop the president, Mr. Uh, Donald Trump, there. Uh, from tweeting out about it. He said, At NBC News and MSNBC, they should be ashamed of themselves for having such a horrible technical breakdown in the middle of a debate. Truly unprofessional and only worthy of a fake news organization, which they are. I wonder what would happen if uh, Fox News or Breitbart would have had the same issue. What would he say? And they were talking badly about him, probably say that they are fake news, and if they weren't talking badly about him, maybe not. This is not the first time, though, in a recent trend of audio problems that NBC has been having. And I have sympathy for the audio people. It's a very hard job to be a mixer. I've done it myself for plays and things like that, and productions. It is very hard to do live sound, but when you're streaming to, literally, what the ratings said, uh, about 20 million people... Certainly a night that you do not want to mess up on. And unfortunately, they did just that. And they also did it on a nightly news segment from December 3rd of 2018. There is their... Nightly news, here it is right now. Running from a championship game suddenly overturns. A child killed, dozens injured. And there's no audio. They have a graphic here of their next story, but nothing happens. In a giant fireball. And then he comes back on, and that's the thing. That's that's what happens there. It happens, I understand it, but uh, I think there was another technical error, and maybe even another. It might have been three in that debate. I could be wrong on that, but I know they did have a, it was quite the technical slew of errors, and there's another debate tonight that is happening live, so if you want to watch it, we'll have live coverage on here, of course, and we'll put out a special episode of the podcast, which covered both of them. You know, I was, earlier I was talking about uh, Julian Castro, the former uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Obama, and uh, he was earning so much praise for his debate performance, 
He basically said, now Americans get to see what I have to offer. Uh, no, because I, people saw what I can offer, and I think they were very surprised. Uh, I believe that I'm going to pick up momentum and I'm going to work hard to keep getting stronger. I know, of course, that a lot of the news is going to be about tonight. Uh, I think tonight what you're going to have is several people on that stage who uh, are going to have disagreements about policy, especially because you have uh, uh, former, former Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders that, of course, disagree on several issues. Uh, for the other candidates who are on the stage, it's going to be about them making sure they get their time in. Uh, I was glad to go on the first night and glad with the mix of people that we had last night because I knew that I wouldn't get overshadowed necessarily. So uh, that's Mr. Julian Castro. He's the former HUD secretary. And uh, he handled it very well. The one thing I don't think that was necessary for his response he didn't need to talk about, uh, he didn't need to throw out Biden's name. That's just a free advertisement for Biden. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's right. The news will be focused on the candidates that are going to be on the stage. The very witty Pete Buttigieg, who I had the honor of meeting the other day, is going to be on that stage next to uh, Biden. And a couple of others, very prominent candidates, ones that have proven themselves in the polls, but... As we've learned from prior elections, especially here in the home city of Chicago, these elections, the only thing that matters is, the only poll that matters is election day. Joe Biden is going to be on that stage along with Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders, and uh, those are really the three frontrunners at this moment next to Buttigieg. The other guy that has not really gotten that much attention, but really trying to go after the millennial vote is Andrew Yang, who will appear among probably the least known candidate out of all of them, the quote-unquote spiritual advisor Marianne Williamson, who has uh, worked with Oprah. That seems to be her claim to fame. Could be wrong on that. I know she definitely did, but she hasn't laid out any concrete policies, so tonight, I guess, would be the day to prove it. Looks as if we uh, need to switch topics here and uh, talk about Eric Trump, the son of President Trump. Wow, this is an interesting story. He was, uh, according to him and other Secret Service and police reports, he was spat on or spit upon at a Chicago restaurant called The Aviary. I've never been to The Aviary. I am from Chicago. I've never been there. And uh, he was spit upon by a, rest or by a uh, waitress there. So... Trump's son basically called Breitbart to complain about this issue uh, after Marianne, Marianne Ahern, a legendary Chicago reporter, originally broke the story on Twitter where she said, Hearing of an incident at Aviary tonight, an employee allegedly spit on son of real Donald Trump who was visiting Chicago. The offender is now in Secret Service custody. That was at 9.47 p.m. on June 25th, 2019. And she, uh, then at 10.10, uh, approximately 27 minutes later, uh, that, I'm sorry, 23 minutes later, showed up or had someone show up for her, who, and she said that Eric Trump was seen leaving the aviary, and there were a bunch of, uh, police outside of there after that incident at about 8.30 p.m., the president's son responded by saying on a phone call to Breitbart, the most conservative news 
site on the planet, at least the one that gets the most attention, he said it was purely a disgusting act by somebody who clearly has emotional problems, which I actually do not disagree with. You should not spit on anyone. I don't think that's a good way of resolving things in a comprehensive and constructive manner. If you really want to mess with someone, uh, go after their values. I think that really gets at people, especially if you question them or debate them as to the reasons why they have abandoned them. And uh, that's basically politics. But if you do it in a, a non-formal setting, like a restaurant or something of the likes, it is something to remember. Jujli Emmy, who is the... I, don't, I know I'm not saying that name correctly, but Anthony Guglielmi? Guglielmi? I don't know how exactly how you say his last name. He is the phenomenal spokesperson for the Chicago Police Department. He was... Uh, speaking out and tweeting out about the Jesse Smollett case as it happened and the and the things surrounding that the uh, Mr. The, the spokesperson said that uh, CBD quote was on the scene and assisting the United States Secret Service with a law enforcement matter any and all inquiries regarding a federal protectee must be directed to the Secret Service um he i mean basically uh Trump, Mr. Eric Trump, um, just basically said that it's not my fault. I'm not not casting blame. It was completely not my fault whatsoever. Uh, he basically attacked uh, the waitress, who now, matter of fact, has a GoFundMe page for her for some strange reason. And she basically blamed Democrats for this. Um, I mean, he basically blamed Democrats uh, for the... Uh, let's just say, constant use of violence, to put it in his words, which there's no evidence to suggest that Democrats or anyone who is a Democrat inherently is violent, just as the same there is no one that is a Republican that is inherently violent or even an Independent that is inherently violent. Very good reporting on this situation. It's really not much of a story other than your opinion. So what do you think? We'll talk about that on the next episode. The number, if you want to call it, is 312-625-8492. And i got to tell you, this episode is brought to you in part by Blueberry. If you are looking to host your podcast, go to Blueberry to get the fastest download and accessibility times, no matter how big or small your podcast is. Use my name, J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, all one word, and you can get one month of uh, one month free of Blueberry service when you use the code J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, J Doherty, all one word, at checkout. The website is Blueberry.com. Don't forget to use the code my name, all one word, J Doherty, at checkout for one month free. We thank Blueberry for their incredible support of the show. Very interesting news week, and it's only going to continue with our special coverage of uh, the debates. So we talked about Eric Trump being spat upon. Now we need to talk about, uh, very quickly, the beta releases of Apple's software. you got about four more minutes here. Uh, oh, no, it actually looks like we have two minutes and 40 seconds, according to my magnificent clock. I don't want to waste it, so let's get into it. Uh, the Apple software, great thing, and we got to talk about it. So, 
iOS. Dark mode is great. That's basically all there is in the whole in the whole beta, uh, from what I've experienced. I was wishing that they would bring dark mode to iOS after they brought it to macOS, and they did just that. The Photos app, the new layout is a little bit confusing at first, but they have a better design overall, in my opinion, and I think people will get used to it very quickly. One problem I did have with the iOS beta, and this is obviously just because it's in beta, is the YouTube app does not work with video uh, when it's underneath, when, when your recommendations are underneath the video that's playing. It's very, very strange. I don't know where this issue stems from, but it's certainly prevalent when you use the app very hard to not notice. And I think many people, including myself, have, uh, you know, called to report this. And they will continue to do the same. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned the beta is basically an optional thing that you can take part of as an Apple user or an Apple developer or both uh, to get a preview, a very rough dra rough draft of what they believe. Not a very rough draft. It's a very refined rough draft, to be completely honest. It's basically a rough draft of a software system that you're going to be running. And uh, it's not perfect whatsoever. They don't claim to say that it is perfect whatsoever, but they want to have users on this platform before it actually goes out so they know what to fix. But iOS was not the only operating system that received an update or even a beta for it. iPadOS got a surprise release of a beta as well. By the way, all of these betas were released way earlier than expected. They were released Tuesday evening, and Apple said that they are going to make the betas public in July, so they lied. And they've done July the whole past, whole, whole you know, earlier. Uh, they've done it all in July for all the earlier uh, betas, and uh, they just decided to do it a little bit earlier this year. No complaints here. Very glad that that happened. Let's talk about iPad OS. So, I, before I downloaded it, I was hearing all these great things from all these different people, and I have an iPad, I barely use it. But, uh, uh, it's basically, it's more of a family iPad, but I barely use it, uh, and so I just had to try this iPad OS thing out. Everyone was saying that how, you know, great it is, how, and in my opinion, without using it, I believed, I disseminated that it was overrated. And then I started using it, and I said, wow, this is actually, a very, very much, very, like, in this, the iPad needed this update. Uh, sidecar and the new file system totally needed. Uh, very glad that that happened. You can now plug in USB drives and uh, other hard drives and things like that into the file system uh, right there on the Mac or on the iPad. I was gonna say that it, now this iPad, they're making iPads without directly changing the hardware. They're making them more like the experience you would have on a Mac, which is pretty cool. They also introduced a totally new thing called Sidecar. It is where you have your iPad next to your Mac, and you can use it as an external monitor. That's pretty cool. You can do that wirelessly or wired, whatever you prefer, and it just comes with any iPad and any Mac. Speaking of Mac, we got to talk about Mac OS. Um, it's good. I've experienced a couple bugs with it. But overall, it's kind of my, more minor updates, not super huge in any one particular area. The one thing I do like is the separation of iTunes and, you know, making that into three apps instead of one, which are Apple TV, Apple Podcasts, and uh, Apple Music. 
I think that was really, really needed, and it's a huge victory, and it really proves the prominence that podcasts are getting in the mainstream uh, view, uh, something that I think is really awesome that they did. Other than that, to be honest, the picture is pretty much the best thing that happened in this software. That's my personal opinion. But yeah, very much, I think it was, I think all of these updates were much needed, but I don't think that is to say that they were ginormous or a huge update like iOS 8 or anything, or was it iOS 8 or, yeah, no, iOS 8, uh, maybe it was iOS 7, oh boy, I've been blanking on this, uh, whatever they had, that update, that was incredibly large in the visual aspect of it, that was huge, that update, and one that was definitely needed. Uh, nothing revolutionary like that, but it was certainly a needed change, and I'm glad that happened. Looks like we gotta end the show. It's about uh, 6.14 p.m. Central Standard Time. Thursday, June 27, 2019. Uh, if you have a thought, the number is 312-625-8492. Just leave a voicemail on that line. We'll play all the calls, read all the texts back. On the next episode of the Jade Doherty Podcast, I appreciate your listenership. Consider subscribing not only to the podcast, but also our uh, weekly email list that I create and facilitate. We talk about all the topics that uh, were discussed on the podcast throughout the week. And you also get some bonus content for 100% free on that, uh, on that wonderful list. All you have to do is sign up and go to the website j-dorty.com and click on newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. 6.15, Thursday, June 27th, 2019. This song is Ixen. That's who it's by. The song is titled Late. I'm going to leave you with that on the J.D. Doherty Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week.